Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now January 22nd, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. It is a strange few days, obviously, with events in the news, and it's a big day for football today because we're going to find who's going to go to the Super Bowl. But that's not why you're here. There's lots of places to hear about the stuff going on in the world, the inaugurations and marches and football. If you're tired of all that, welcome to this boat floating down the River Sully because here we are. January 22nd, as with every day of the calendar year, I'm here to talk baseball with you. And it is Sunday. It is Sunday, January 22nd. So that means what? It's time for the Sunday request. Now I'm going to go back to the well of a steady listener uh, and contributor on Twitter to the Sully Baseball account, Bob Biscalia, who has decency of having his Twitter handle be Bob Biscalia, not you know, Ninja Burger 54 or something like that. No, Bob Biscalia Bohm. He writes to me, Sully Baseball. Shoeless Joe was given a lifetime ban. Since, his, since he is dead, shouldn't he be reinstated? This is a great question, and it leads to a couple of thoughts that I have of a player who is not dead and who I seem to come back to from time to time on this podcast because he never seems to go away. But, yeah, that is, that, that is a, a wonderful point. Now, for those of you who, who don't know, and if you're listening to a baseball podcast on in the middle of January, then I really, really don't think I need to explain to you who the hell Shoeless Joe Jackson is. But, I mean, to go for a little bit of a summary, Shoeless Joe Jackson was one of the elite players in the 1910s. He played, you know, he actually, he, he, his career was pretty evenly split between the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago White Sox. He actually began his career playing five games for the Philadelphia A's in 1908 and another five games for Philadelphia A's in 1909. So he actually began his career as uh, a Connie Mack A, but yeah, you blink and you would have missed him, and he really didn't make much of an impact. He only got six hits total. Um, but when he moved to Cleveland, he really starting at age 23 in 1911, became just a staggeringly consistent hitter. Now, it's kind of sometimes when you go to some of these other eras when 400 hitters were you know, still elite, but they happened from time to time. He batted 408 in 1911. He was, this was an era where it wasn't a big home run era. The home run era hadn't exploded yet. 
it was more of a speed error, more of hitting him into the gaps, high average, kind of pure hitters. And Shoeless Joe, in his time with Cleveland, his career average in Cleveland over his six seasons was 379. His career OPS was 983. Uh, and he never, he, he consistently slugged in the, in the, the 500s while he was with Cleveland and he never hit more than seven home runs in a season he was uh, he was a remarkable pure hitter and a great defensive player and was eventually moved to the Chicago White Sox and the the if you've read the great book Eight Men Out you've seen the great movie Eight Men Out or if you've seen Feel the Dreams you know that there was uh, the White Sox in 1919 conspired to throw the World Series. And they, it was, you know, the gamblers paid um, eight of them to not play particularly well. And there have been a lot of people who have defended Joe Jackson, saying he may have taken the money, but, you know, he batted 375, he homered, he drove in six runs. You know, he, he he was tremendous. You know, how could you say he was trying to throw it? But he was part of that team. And he was part of the the eight who conspired and received for his you know, partaking in that. The punishment was a lifetime ban from baseball. And he wound up playing for many uh sort of renegade leagues but under different names, and eventually moved back to South Carolina and ran a liquor store. And he would have easily been in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and probably would have, you know, because he was only um, 32 years old, and still an outstanding player when he was suspended. You know, he was batting... 382 with an OPS of 1.033 when he was suspended during the 1920 season. He could have easily played five, six more years with the Chicago White Sox or somewhere else. And he was putting up, you know, wonderful career numbers and everything like that. Now, he was suspended for life by Commissioner Landis. And the White Sox became kind of the poster children of don't gamble because... If you gamble, or if you associate with gamblers and you don't immediately report it, you're, consp- you're considered to be a conspirator. And Jackson received a lifetime suspension from baseball. Now, of course, reinstating Joe Jackson is an act of ceremony, because as you know, as I indicated before. He died in, uh, what year did he die? He died in 1951. And at the ripe old age of 64. Only to come back to life as Ray Liotta batting right-handed in a cornfield in the film Field of Dreams. That's neither here nor there. The fact that he received a lifetime ban from baseball means that he has served his sentence He's been dead for more than half a century. And so whatever punishment he has taken on, 
continuing it since his death in 1951 is kind of an act of you know, barbaric cruelty, in my opinion. Joe Jackson should be in the Hall of Fame. You can put a sentence at the end of his plaque saying, was a member of the, the White Sox who conspired and received a lifetime ban. He's, he's paid his price. He's dead. He's still dead. And he will always be dead. And he died in disgrace, in obscurity, in South Carolina, as a pariah. And I'm going to guess didn't die very happy. And I don't know what his descendant situation is. But again, if you use the rule of seven... He's been gone since 1951. How many years ago was that? I'm going to have to use a calculator to find that out. It's What year is it now? It's 2017, 1951. Boom. That's 66 years ago. So if you go in by the rule of seven, that means anyone 73 years or Younger has no recollection of a world where Joe Jackson was alive, let alone playing. Holy cow, he, he stopped playing in 1920. He was suspended nearly 100 years ago. He was suspended 97 years ago. He's been dead since 1951. 66 years, he's been mulch. I think that's enough. I think that he's a great figure in the history of baseball who could have his damn plaque in the Hall of Fame because he paid his price. He paid the price of the, the notoriety. He paid the price of having his name besmirched. And you place, like Hester Prynne, a description of his suspension on his plaque. But I think we can all move on. I think we can all, I think we as a society can move on from the sins of the 1919 White Sox, which has delivered us two of the greatest baseball movies of all time, and a legacy to say, okay, that's it. We can move on. The person this obviously ties to who's still alive and that this would be able to bring this to a fruition is Pete Rose. Pete Rose has a lifetime suspension. I used to say, and people used to think I was being glib, I was being 100% correct. I would say, like, yeah, put him in when he's dead. That's his punishment. He goes in posthumously. But Sally, you said you wanted Bonds and Clemens. Shut up. Steroids and betting are not the same thing. A lifetime ban is a lifetime ban. And to be reinstated, you know, Pete's had several chances to be reinstated. And I, as much as I'm sitting here in, in Pasadena, I believe that if Pete acted differently he would have been reinstated already. But he became his worst nightmare. He became his worst advocate. 
And it, it comes to a couple of things that you have to also understand. And no, I'm not going to go through for the four quadrillionth time why betting on games, even if it's to win, is bad for the game. You know, I've done it so many times. And if you're listening to this podcast on this day, chances are you're one of my regular fans, like Bob Biscalia, and you already know why. But even though it is such an egregious crime in baseball, if he had behaved in any way that didn't bring more suspicion, you know, to his actions, he would have been reinstated already. And if he also didn't, excuse me, Ray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swear, didn't piss off the very people he should be kissing up to, he'd be already in. You know, the thing that we have to remember is the Baseball Hall of Fame is not Major League Baseball. They work together. There's cooperation, clearly. But the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum is not a wing of Major League Baseball. It is a separate entity. And the people who vote in those who are in the Hall of Fame are either the Writers Association or the various committees. Since Jackson has fulfilled his obligation, he remained suspended till he became worm food. There is no real logical reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Fame could put him on the ballot anyway if they want. They could have a committee anyway if they want. One of the things that has killed Pete Rose along the way is the fact that the Hall of Fame hates him. I spoke to Owen Good about this when Owen Good used to you know, write in Cooperstown and has a lot of interaction with um, the Hall of Fame itself. They hate him because he comes up every year during the Hall of Fame induction, sets up camp, and distracts people from the event. Now, I made a point on a podcast. I don't remember which day it was off the top of my head. But I made the point that I do not believe Pete Rose's top priority is to get into the Hall of Fame. And the reason I said this, and I'm going to, I am going to reiterate this, is his legacy and his relevance is greater if he is not in the Hall of Fame, if we are still debating him. Pete Rose played his last game in 1985. That was four years before Ken Griffey Jr. played his first game, and Ken Griffey Jr. is now in the Hall of Fame. In other words, you could have played a whole long, deep career, waited the five years, and get elected to the Hall of Fame since Pete Rose played his last game. The suspension of Pete Rose by the late G Commissioner Giamatti was in 1989. That's a while ago. That's several decades ago. And we're still talking about it. And I believe that keeps him in the public attention, keeps him in the public eye, keeps him in the public consciousness, and it keeps him in situations where signing autographs and having shows with this kind of you know martyrdom is better for his bottom line than him being in the Hall of Fame. 
I'm sure he'd like to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's better for business. What does it say for you if he says, hey, Pete, what we need you to do is stop being associated with gambling. Stop having, stop, you know, get help about your gambling. And then he says, oh, I'm going to set up shop in Las Vegas. I'm going to do my press conferences from a freaking casino. That tells me someone who knows what he's supposed to do and is going to do the opposite. I'm going to reference a movie that is not exactly a recent film, played the last year that Pedro has ever played, but the film Ruthless People. I don't know if you remember that movie. It's a pretty funny movie, if I remember it correctly. And about a bunch of kidnappers who kidnapped someone's wife, and the husband hated the wife, wanted her him out wanted her out of his life completely. The wife was played by Bette Midler, the husband was played by Danny DeVito, and the kidnappers say, Whatever you do, we want no media attention. And they cut to the guy's house and there's just all these television cameras everywhere. Because he called up the media because he wanted his wife away. And that's a little bit of what's going on with Pete Rose. He clearly is acting like someone who, being reinstated, is not in his top priority right now. And when you think about, think about the two players I just mentioned. Julius Joe Jackson and Pete Rose. We remember them, not for their greatness, but we remember them now for their notoriety. I just realized that Field of Dreams came out in 1989. It's the same year that Pete Rose got suspended. But I digress. The fact what I'm trying to make is, is the notoriety of Shoeless uh, uh, Joe and of Pete Rose is one of the things that has kept them in the public consciousness. Let's take another player. Uh, I just pulled out another player. The other player I pulled out was Tris Speaker. Now, Tris Speaker is someone who had uh, a, a better career than Shoeless Joe Jackson. And again, he was able to play a few years longer. Um, and he played with Cleveland and Boston, won several World Series titles. He also, interesting, he also played a nanosecond with the Philadelphia A's. Man, it seems like a lot of Hall of Famers either start their career or end it with the Connie Mack A's. But I digress. By all stats and by all merits, Tris Speaker, who's in the Hall of Fame, was a better player than Shoeless Joe Jackson. And a comparable player to Pete Rose. He, when you look at the you know, players most similar to with Pete Rose, one of the you know, on BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, you see that one of the comparable players is Tris Speaker. And Tris Speaker, as I said, played in the same era as Shoeless Joe Jackson. Now, I know who Tris Speaker is. I'm guessing some of you know, but I guess that some of you don't. I'm guessing some of you may have maybe heard of him in passing, but he's someone whose name is known to baseball fans, to be sure, but really the diehard fans and the historians. 
for most people, if you say list the greatest Red Sox of all time, that I mean, you'd have to be a real kind of John Thorne historian to pull up Tris Speaker. And the same thing with the Cleveland Indians. But if you're going to say the greatest Red of all time, you're going to say Pete Rose. If you're going to say the greatest White Sox of all time, eventually even some of the more casual fans will mention Shoeless Joe because their notoriety has kept them in the public eye longer than someone like Tris Speaker who had a long Hall of Fame, multiple world championship career. Sometimes the notoriety and the narrative of that notoriety is one of the things that drives a player into our consciousness. You notice Bob Biscali didn't send me a tweet about Tris Speaker. Do you know why? The story's not there. And the point I made about Pete Rose is... Who's going to talk about Pete Rose if he's in the Hall of Fame? The story's over. Pete Rose, you know, it, it, you know, it isn't just because Pete Rose was a popular player at the time, did a lot of television stuff at the time. There are many players who did a lot of television stuff at the time. Tom Seaver did. Johnny Bench did. You know, they're, they're not... When was the last time, you know... Someone like Johnny Bench or Tom Seaver were relevant in the news. You know, Frank Robinson, if you're going to do the greatest Reds of all time, Frank Robinson was one of the greatest players of all time. And when was the last time Frank Robinson was relevant in the news? He's in the Hall of Fame. First black manager in baseball history, managed into the into the 2000s uh, with Washington. Manager of the year in Baltimore one year. All those great home runs, MVPs in both leagues, World Series MVP, blah, 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 blah. Well, Frank Robinson is not going to be in the news. Nor will Pete Rose, if he's in the Hall of Fame. Nor will Shoeless Joe. If he's in the Hall of Fame, but it doesn't matter for Joe, because the worms that ate his body are now dead, and so are those worms' grandchildren. Pete is still with us. So if you create the precedent that if you're suspended for life, you can get in and be reinstated once you're dead, this is probably something that is creating much glee in the eyes of the people in Cooperstown to think, oh, great, yeah, Pete, you'll get in. You have to die. Is that fair? I don't know. I'm not the one who was suspended. Pete could have ended the suspension a long time ago if he cleaned up and became an angel. The public sentiment would have gone on in his favor, but do you know what? He did everything wrong. And he doesn't strike me as a dumbbell. He strikes me as a man who's an opportunist. And the opportunist for him is to make money as a martyr. So while we're talking about Shoeless Joe, it affects Pete Rose. And so Bob Biscalia, yeah, I think so. Reinstate him. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Have a ceremony. 
But at the same time, know what this means for the all-time hit king. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. And what I also am saying is go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Twitter, on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking about baseball on this late January day. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 22nd day of January 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.